This is Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point, Hedman, right to Kucherov. Score! Hattrick! Kucherov! We are counting down the days. In just a few days, the Lightning will be departing for Toronto, where they hope they will have a lengthy stay before moving on to Edmonton for the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final. That would be great. But we know they're leaving on Sunday. Well, I think we lost uh, Dave Mishkin's connection here in this world of social distancing. Uh, We'll get right back to him. But we have Brian Burns standing by right now. He's at practice uh, at Emily Arena where the Bolts are just wrapping uh, the session up, aren't they, Brian? Yeah, Thursday practice session and uh, a little bit more of the same from what we saw Wednesday. A few different things with uh, guys being up uh, with the main group today and other players going down with the the call-ups, which have been going in an earlier session. So, you know, Steven Stamkos yesterday uh, was skating with the call-ups. He did so again today. Andre Palat was down with the call-ups as well. Uh, and they, they put in a full skate with, with those guys. And then once the main guys came back out, we saw Stamkos and Palapak go back into the locker room. Uh, so we had Mitchell Stevens and Carter Verhege with the main group today. So you see the Lightning just kind of moving guys around, just trying to make sure everybody gets, uh, gets enough work in and they you know, have equals amounts of guys uh, with each one of those sessions. And also a chance to see some different lines. We saw... Uh, quite a few different, you know, permutations of lines today with, with Verhage, Sorelli, and Johnson working together. We saw Yanni Gord centering a third line with Coleman and, and Barclay Goodrow. Uh, and then we got to see Mitchell Stevens centering that fourth line. So uh, you can definitely see that the coaching staff is wanting to work on different combinations of players and, and just kind of get a feel on who's going to have the best chemistry. And also, you know, if there's a guy injured in one of these playoff games, the lines are going to have to switch anyway. So I think it's good that they're able to play with, with different uh, players, multiple combinations of players, so they have that comfort feel that they're able to get in camp today. You mentioned the different lines, and, and one that kind of stands out, and they've put together a couple days now, is the Kalorn, Point, and Kucherov line. And they've looked pretty good yeah. in practice, haven't they? Yeah, they have. They they kind of came together during that, that blue right white scrimmage that they had on Monday uh, they didn't start out the scrimmage together but in the third period I think to try to get a little bit of offense going you saw Kalorn move up there uh, and then uh, yesterday the first day that they had back coming off of that scrimmage uh, that line was together again and, and again today so it's been three days in a row now we've seen that Kalorn uh, point Kucherov line and you know, it's got a lot of teeth to it. You've got, you know, two, you know, three 20 goal, 20 plus goal scores. I know you have that obviously as well when Stamkos is out there and healthy, but uh, just a lot of firepower on that line. Uh, you got a, a really good two way player and Lauren that's going to be able to win some of those uh, puck battles in the corner, good two way forward uh, that maybe you don't have quite as much of if Steven Stamkos is on that line. Uh, so it, it gives you a really well-balanced line. And then, you know, if that's a line that they decide to stick with, it allows you to put Stamkos maybe down on a second line uh, with Sorelli. And that gives you two, you know, pretty dynamic uh, top lines that you can go with at any point. Well, we've got Dave Mishkin back with us now. So in this uh, world of social distancing. <laughs> I know how to make a dramatic exit. Hopefully <laughs> somewhat of a dramatic entrance here. So I came in right at the end of your answer, Bernsey. I don't know how much... Both of you heard of my initial question before I got cut off. 
But I was asking first and foremost about the scrimmage on Monday. And I do want to get into some of the line shuffling that's happened in practice today and yesterday. But what did you make of Monday's scrimmage? What were your main takeaways, Brian? Yeah, you know, I thought it was fast paced. I, I thought, you know, the guys were into it. it you wonder a little bit about some of the, uh, the, the offensive inabilities right now uh, to really string things together and uh, put, you know, pucks obviously into the back of the net. But uh, also, I, you know, the way that the Lightning has kind of built their team and the mentality that they've taken, even going into, you know, preseason training camp, and we saw it especially, you know, during that, that stretch, you know, from December to February where they had that, that – you know, just an incredible run where they were 23-2-1. and one. It was, it was just such an emphasis on, on defense first and playing, you know, that side of the, uh, of the puck and being responsible in their own end. And I thought we saw a lot of that uh, in the scrimmage. I thought pretty much every defenseman stood out. I thought each, you know, had, had moments where, where they played really well. Uh, you know, even some of the guys like Braden Coburn, Zach Bogosian, I thought played well. Uh, and then Luke Shen ended up with the uh, the shootout game deciding goal. Uh, I thought both goalies looked outstanding, especially Curtis McElhaney. I, you know, early on, I thought maybe that he had a, a couple shaky moments where maybe there was a puck that he could have gloved cleanly and uh, might have gotten away from him and, and squirted behind the net. But in the second period, I thought you know he was outstanding and, and faced uh, pretty much all the the traffic was in his end of the. Uh, of the rink and he was under fire, you know, pretty heavily in that second period. And I thought he held up really well and, uh, and then continued that into the third period. Uh, other things I saw, I thought Braden point, you know, he looks faster than he's ever looked right now and, and really combined well with Kucherov. It doesn't seem like the pause did anything to disrupt the chemistry that those two guys have. Uh, and again, once Kalorn kind of came up to that third line, I, I thought, you know, it was a pretty dynamic line, and I sh- thought it showed, you know, potential to be a line that the Lightning could use once they get into this playoff situation. You mentioned the play of the goaltenders, and I wonder if their play hadn't been quite so good. And just to be clear, it's good that their play was good. But if they hadn't been as sharp, we would have seen goals, right? And then maybe we wouldn't be talking about they need to score some goals. I mean, how much of a function of 0-0 through three periods was the team finding its way in terms of generating chances and getting into sync offensively as opposed to simply the goalies took away some of those scoring chances? You know, I think it was a little bit of both. I think certainly on McElhaney's end, there's, you know, maybe one that you'd hope to possibly two that you'd hope to slip by him during that scrimmage, but it wasn't a situation where I thought they were making just outstanding, you know, 10 bell saves. There was one that Vasilevsky had early on where uh, I think it was Hedman that, that had a shot from the point and it kind of got tipped and uh, he stuck the left leg out and then the rebound yeah. came around to the post and looked like it was going to get by him. And then he, you know, did the, the really wide stretch that he's able to do so easily and effortlessly with, with his legs and get into those splits to keep that one out. I thought that was probably the, the best save uh, of the day that we saw, but there weren't any of the like super spectacular saves that, uh, that, that you really write about. Um, but I thought they were solid saves. So, so maybe you get one or two uh, in a game situation if the goalies aren't playing quite up to par as they were in that. So I think it's a little bit of a function of both. I thought, you know, the offense was searching a little bit for their identity. I thought the goalies 
uh, did really well too in that. In the scrimmage, the line combinations were shuffled a bit. Now, Stamkos didn't play on Monday. But if we go back to the start of camp on July 13th, a week ago Monday, we saw fairly consistently the same line combinations and D pairings. And Verhage was kind of slotting where Stamkos was with Point and Kucherov. Sorelli and Kalorn were with Palat. Tyler Johnson was in between Goodrow and Coleman. And then before he got banged up, Paquette was centering the line with Gord and Maroon. And then you had Ruda with Headman. And that's been a change today. We'll get into McDonough, Chernak, and Sergachev, Shattenkirk. Especially at the forward position, the Lightning have really mixed things up to the point that, like, Andre Palat isn't even practicing with the quote-unquote main group today. He was out there earlier with Stamkos and some of the quote-unquote black aces. What do you make of that? Is that a situation where you think the Lightning are experimenting and trying different combinations and they don't want to have, let's say, 27, 28 guys out on the ice at once, so they're having kind of a, a game group in terms of the size, but because they're trying different players in different slots – we may see Palat, for example, go into the, the earlier group. Yeah, I mean, I think that they know what they have with Palat, so it's a situation where they can kind of put him into that early group and bring some of the other guys up, like a Carter Verhage or a Mitchell Stevens that, that wasn't able to get into that main group the other day uh, and just work them in and see what some of those different combinations look like. Uh, you know... It looks like, you know, the Kalorn point Kucherov line, it looks like that might be a thing. We asked Cooper about it yesterday, and he said it's certainly a combination that, that he likes the look of, and it's something that they're going to see in the postseason, whether or not, you know, we see a lot of it or if it's uh, if it becomes the norm that's yet to be decided. But he definitely sounded like that he wants to see that, that combination more uh, once the postseason hits and once the games start to count for real. I, you know, I think right now they're just trying to get a sense of, uh, you know, they have this this depth of forwards right now, especially when you have everybody healthy, when Stamkos is back, if Paquette's in the in the lineup. Uh, you've got two guys and Verhage and Stevens that played really well this season and showed, you know, a lot of good things uh, and glimpses and for, for consistency as well. Uh so you want to see where maybe you can work some of those guys in if they're going to be called on at some point this season or during the postseason. And I think you probably will. It's, it's really tough to, to get through a, a postseason and go on a long run like the Lightning hope that they're able to uh, and not have guys injured. So I, I think a lot of what we're seeing uh, yesterday, today, uh, during the, uh, the scrimmage sessions, uh, I think a lot of what we're seeing is just kind of those what if scenarios. You know, what if one of our main guys, what, what if one of our top six forwards goes out and we don't have them for an extended period of time? What are some of these other line combinations that we might be able to work in? You know, if we have to bring a Verhege in off the bench or if we have to bring in a Mitchell Stevens off the bench uh, and just get some of that, that chemistry with those guys and, and see who they pair best with and, and what combinations work. I guess the one good thing from how John Cooper tends to mix up the lines because he does mix up the lines over the course of a regular season from game to game, sometimes even within a game, is that players do get used to playing with each other and a lot of different 
players. Like Kalorn, for example, has played with just about every line combination you can imagine. So if you are forced because of injury or you want to make a lineup change or you want to send a message, whatever the case, if you are going to mix up your line combinations, it's it's nothing that most of the players who have played under Cooper, it's nothing they're not used to having played for him. Yeah, I mean, you look at Tyler Johnson. He's played everywhere from a first line to a third line to a center to a wing. Everybody on the on the Lightning should have had some experience at some point, whether uh, you're talking about training camp here or in a regular season game. Everybody should have had some chance to play with Tyler Johnson at some point. Yanni Gord's kind of the same situation. Today he was centering the line with, with, with Goodrow and, 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 and Blake Coleman. Uh, and he's one of those guys that's, you know, been a first liner at times or has, has been, you know, showed glimpses of that and then played in a fourth line role and, and uh, was very effective when he was with, uh, with Pat Maroon and Cedric Paquette. So uh, yeah, I do think it's a situation where we're, and we talk to a lot of the guys in the locker room about that, you know, after a practice or after a game, do you, would you like to have set lines or, or know exactly who you're going to play with every day? Or is it okay? Do you, do you not mind that, that things get mixed up every now and then and you're playing with different guys and they all tend to, to echo each other that they like playing with different guys that they, they, they know that when they come to this team and when they're put into the lineup, that they're going to have two other guys on their line that are dynamic players and, and really good players and, and can do a lot of the things that they want to do. And, uh, there's no real sense of, of worry that, that you don't have consistent line mates. They know that they're going to get two guys that, that are really good and they should be able to perform, you know, whoever it is. Let's get to the D. You referenced Bogosian and how well he played in the scrimmage on our broadcast here on Lightning Power Play on Monday. Phil Esposito singled out Bogosian as well. He felt he played quite well. And today he is paired for what it's worth with Victor Hedman. What is it worth? <laughs> what do you think that we can read into or take out of the fact that Bogosian is now playing with Hedman and he played with Hedman in the games leading into the pause? Yeah, I mean, I think they're still trying to figure out who that that right shot defenseman is that they're going to go with with Victor Hedman. And, you know, Jan Ruda was kind of given that opportunity once training camp started. He's w w played with Hedman for pretty much the first week. And uh, I think he's still working back into game shape. I think that's the main takeaway with Ruda so far. I think he looks good, but you can definitely tell that, you know, he's missed five months. He hasn't played in five months. And I know a lot of these guys haven't played, you know, in four months, but they've been able to work out and train and uh, Ruda probably took a little bit more time. He did say that uh, once the pause happened, he kind of ramped down his rehab a little bit because he knew there wasn't a rush to get back into it. So uh, it probably took him a little bit more time to, to get to working out, to get to skating, whereas the other guys had the, the full four months where they could uh, work out and continue training. And then once phase two started, they could get back to skating. So uh, you know, I think Bogosian has has shown a lot so far in camp. I think he looks, you know, pretty quick for for you know what the Lightning like to do defensively. He he's shown good hockey sense. Uh, he, he's shown an ability to to get a, a pretty heavy shot on net. Uh, and you you got to think that he doesn't have a, a lot of tread on the tires so far this season. He hasn't played a lot of games, so uh, maybe that combined with the the long pause that we have, that that freshness is there for him. He, he's been able to to get his legs underneath of him, and, and you know he could be a little bit of an X factor for the Lightning going into this postseason. That you have a guy that's now completely healthy, is feeling pretty good about his body, and 
Uh, if he's, you know, at a hundred percent and feeling really good, then uh, maybe he's a guy that can pair with the Victor Hedman. And that's what you go with once these games get underway. Tomorrow's the scrimmage. That's the only thing on the player's schedule as far as on ice. And that's at four o'clock. Saturday will be an off day and then they'll have a workout Sunday morning before they depart for Toronto. So we're really down to the last few days here. Do you get a sense of what the team is going to be making a priority in these final few days, maybe what they hope to get out of the scrimmage and that last practice on Sunday? I think in this scrimmage, it's going to be maybe a little bit more emphasis on you know, physicality. Uh, you know, the guys talked a little bit about after the first scrimmage, there, there's still that, that hesitation. You, know, you don't want to put your, your teammate through the boards. You don't maybe finish some of your checks uh, that you would if you were playing in an exhibition game against another team or obviously playing in a, in a playoff game. So, uh, you know, I still don't think that you're going to see like full out hits or anything, but I, I do think that the, the physicality, the contact will be ramped up a little bit. Uh, I think more than anything, just the compete level. They, they've shown a really good compete level throughout this camp. Uh, and I think they, they want to go uh, into the bubble. They want to go into Toronto uh, feeling good about that compete level. So uh, I think that'll be a, a point of emphasis once they have this scrimmage uh, on Friday. And then just trying to, to see you know what they can work. I think special teams will be a big deal. I think they, they've shown, a, uh, at least in the drills that we've, we've seen, that uh, the, the puck movement seems to be a little bit quicker than we saw maybe towards the end uh, of the regular season, right before the pause when things kind of stagnated a little bit. So they've been working on the power play a little bit and, and trying – uh, different combinations of plays that they can use, trying to get the puck moving faster, trying more one-touch passing. Uh, so I think that'll be a point of emphasis too, is just trying to uh, translate that into a scrimmage and hopefully be successful with that at some point. Uh, so I think mainly that's what they're going to be focusing on in that blue-right scrimmage. Burns, you've done a great job keeping the fans informed on kind of the day-to-day goings-on in camp. You've also contributed more feature type stories you had a really interesting one on what it's like to conduct press conferences over zoom and i noted you were asking some questions yesterday about kind of the challenge for the equipment staff and i mean it's just mind-boggling the the level of detail that these equipment guys are going to have to to dive into to get ready for a trip that may last two, two and a half months. Do you have a story coming up on that? (laughs) I was wondering why you asked the question. You're a good mind reader, Mitch. uh, That's uh, this weekend's, uh, the weekend reading series that we've been doing since the pause. That's uh, what what the story is going to be this week is just about, you know, everything that's going into to what the equipment guys have to do to get this team ready so that once they get into the bubble, they have, you know, all of their comforts, everything that they need uh, is there with them. And uh, just hearing some of the different things that they've had to go through, like because of the, the virus and uh, the just shipping stuff up into Canada has been a chore. They've had to ship up, you know, they said they had four or five different pallets of supplies that they've shipped up there already. Uh, some of it gets stopped at customs. They had a pallet the other day that got stopped at customs and they had to ship it back here to Tampa. Now they have to figure out, are we going to try to reship it up into Canada? Or are we just going to take it on the plane with us? Uh, you know, they, it's, I think, you know, Bubba told me it was, uh, Bubba's the assistant athletic trainer or excuse me, the assistant equipment manager uh, for the lightning, Rob Kennedy. 
he said this this one's like nine thousand pounds, the amount of of equipment that they've got going up uh, into Canada, and that's probably about two to three thousand pounds more than they would have on a lengthy road trip. Like, take for instance the the trip that they they went to Sweden, uh, which was a pretty long road trip, and obviously you're going to need a lot of stuff that maybe you wouldn't want to take on a, a regular road trip because you're going overseas. Uh, so th- there's quite a bit that goes into it. He showed me the manifest uh, of everything that's going up, even like, you know, the the glove dryers that, that you see in the hallways outside the locker room. They have to bring those with them because the NHL isn't able to provide them because each team needs to have their own. You can't share, you know, glove dryers like you would normally when you go on a road trip because of the coronavirus. Everybody needs to have their own glove dryers. So they had to ship four of those up just to have two at the practice rink and then to have two you know, ready for the game rink wherever that, whenever that might be. So just a lot of like logistics that those guys are having to go through. And he said, it's been about a six week process uh, of just, you know, once they realize this is, this is actually happening where we're going to play games and the the NHL was able to get the return to play plan play in. And, uh, and there was actually like, okay, here's when we're, we're, possibly going to be leaving this is actually going to happen it's been about a six-week process just to try to get everything together so that once they get up there in the bubble you know they don't really need to bring in anything else because they've already got it there ready to go great stuff Bernsey. we know you gotta go and maybe ask some more questions about what guys are bringing up to toronto (laughs) for that story but we'll look for that this weekend thanks for taking a couple of minutes yeah absolutely thanks mish all right that's brian burns Beat reporter for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Steve and I will return, solid connection permitting, after this timeout. You're listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Power Lunch continues on this Thursday. Dave Mishkin with Steve Versnick. Tomorrow's blue-white scrimmage can be heard here on Lightning Power Play. It will also be streamed on the Lightning's website. Myself with Brian Engblom on both. We're simulcasting, so tune in for that. Yes. And then, of course, the next broadcast on these airwaves will take place next Wednesday, a noon face-off, 11.30 in the morning. We're making Greg get up earlier for a broadcast, although I guess he's used to it because he's usually doing the lunch As I was going to say, there's no power lunch that program. day. So. Yeah, that's true. So he's just starting half an hour earlier with the pregame at 11.30 and the exhibition game Lightning and Florida Panthers next Wednesday. Well, the news came through while we were chatting with Brian Burns, Steve. The Seattle NHL team will be the Kraken. Release the Kraken, which they have yep. now as the NHL's 32nd team. If you don't know what a Kraken is, it's a uh, we looked this up to make sure we had the definition exactly correct, but a legendary cephalopod-like sea monster of gigantic size in Scandinavian folklore. And like I said, I looked that up. I didn't write that yes, myself. Yes, a lot of people will be, <laughs> I think a lot of people will be Googling Kraken after today's announcement. So let's get into some of the topics that Bernsey and I were discussing. I think we all fall into a habit, myself included, when you see a line combination, you think that's a good line combination to raise an eyebrow when that line combination is mixed up. 
But that's the way the Lightning like to do things. And just because we're seeing Kalorn, let's say, with Point and Kucherov, does not mean that they've gone away from the idea of playing Stampkos with those two guys, Point and Kucherov, when Stampkos is healthy and ready. And John Cooper basically alluded to the fact he expects Stampkos to be playing sooner rather than later. But you know what? Sometimes if things aren't going well in a game, you have to mix up those line combinations. And John Cooper is not hesitant to do that. And so he's giving Kalorn in this instance, both in the scrimmage on Monday and the last two days of practice, some reps with Point and Kucherov. And to contrast it, like, now the Bergeron line in Boston is probably a good example now, they play very well most well, of the time. Maybe the best but line it's in rare hockey. that you would, Yeah, it's rare that you would see even within a game where they might be having an off night. It's rare to see them mixed up. That's just not the way the Bruins tend to, to run their lines. Mm-hmm. And the Lightning are different. And it's every coach's prerogative how that coach wants to operate the line combinations within a game. But I, I'm not surprised... Now, looking back on these last two days of practice, that we're seeing different combinations because John Cooper's probably looking ahead and saying, we may need this line at some point. I want to see what it looks like in practice. And we'll see if some of these newer line combinations are, in fact, the combinations in the scrimmage tomorrow. Yeah, well, I mean, as you mentioned, Cooper loves to change lines and he does it very freely during games, too. But the other part of this team being that, you know, the core of this team has been together for years now. From Stamkos and Kucherov and Johnson and Palat and Kalorn and, you know, the core of it, they've played with everybody. They have played, they have spent a lot of time both in practice and in games playing with pretty much everybody on the roster. Now you had, you know, Coleman and Goodrow now, so you have two newer guys that have only been with the team for eight or nine games. But for the most part, these players are used to that the lines in a blender and let's see what we come up with for this period or this shift. Um, and they've been doing it for years together. So, you know, yeah, you sometimes you start watching the first couple days of practice and you go, oh, this line, I love this line, this line, this line. But in reality, especially with Cooper as the head coach, is you're going to see those lines and then a lot more combinations as each game and in, in, in the series goes on. And as the Lightning hope, if they have a long playoff run, invariably you're going to have to put new guys in. Mm-hmm. It's Maybe it's happened. <laughs> I don't know that it's happened when a team has had to go through four rounds, but to go through four rounds without one single injury that forces you to make mm-hmm. a lineup change, I don't know that I can recall such an instance or a circumstance so you have to be ready for that. Well, and this is a bizarre playoffs because, for the most part, every team's 100% healthy, and that, that never happens going into the playoffs. I mean, you know, Stamkos is, you know, not playing right now and, and skating but not pr- full practicing yet. But for the most part, every team has pretty much got a healthy roster. There's a few exceptions. But, you know, so it, it's kind of – everything's a little different this year with, with that because normally going into the playoffs you have star players hurt or out or – guys with nagging injuries, you know, I think back to Victor Hedman last year. I mean, you know, how healthy was he in games one and two? He didn't end up playing games three and four against Columbus. Um, you know, Stamkos has missed playoff games. I mean, yeah, you're going to go, you're going to get injuries in every series you play. For tomorrow's scrimmage, I'm curious 
to know what you think. I like the compete level on Monday. I think every player out there brought an honest effort, understanding they're competing against teammates. So things are tamped down a bit as opposed to, let's say, next Wednesday when they play the Panthers, still an exhibition game that doesn't count, but you're, you're playing against an opponent, somebody who's not on your team. But I thought the compete level was good. I thought the energy was good. The, the areas where I think the team would like to be crisper tomorrow have more to do with execution and specifically that word structure. And while neither team was able to score in three periods of 15 minutes of length, so 45 minutes, there were breakdowns. And I remember specifically the white team, Team White, had several odd man rushes. Now, without the benefit of going back and pouring over the replays, I'm not sure exactly how they all came about but clearly mistakes were made and the lightning do not want to go into the round robin and certainly not game one of the playoffs giving up odd man rushes now on a couple of them victor hedman made a great defensive play he was the defenseman back for team blue and disrupted those odd man rushes but those are the areas they would expect to take longer coming off a lengthy break so it's not surprising, but let's see if they take another step in the right direction tomorrow, the final scrimmage, before they leave for Toronto. Yeah, that's one thing, you know, I've, I've noticed and discussed for, the, you know, the last several years with the Lightning is anytime they have a long break, whether it's the start of a season or the all-star break, bye week, even Christmas break, they, the Lightning run at such a high speed and such precision – I mean, when, when they're clicking, every pass is tape to tape, and that, that gap you know, between the defense and the, the forwards is perfect. And, and it, it's a beautiful thing to see when they're clicking. When they come back from long breaks, it takes a couple games for them to get that, that back. You, 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 I, you notice mostly in the passing, but it, it, it involves some of the defensive breakdowns as well too, is it's just not, it's not perfect. It's not crisp, and they run so fast that when it's off just a little bit, it exposes some things and, and can cause some breakdowns and, and odd man rushes and things like that for the other team. So we've no, I've always noticed that in the last few years because they're such a precise team and the, when they're clicking that, you know, it doesn't surprise me in the scrimmage. And, and I, we'll probably see some of it in tomorrow's, although I hope you start to see it buttoning up some. And, and you know, I think, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard when you're not playing each other. I mean, you know, you saw very little hitting. Or I remember Luke Wikowski delivered a hit at one point against the boards. That was about the only one you really saw. And it wasn't a hard hit, but, you know, so you're not getting a full a full effort because you're playing your teammates. But uh, I hope that you see some of those defensive breakdowns where Victor Hedman doesn't need to be breaking up a three-on-one, which I remember that one specifically. The Lightning are a round-robin team. We know that, certainly. We've discussed this to death, I think, over the last several weeks. <laughs> But one thing we haven't talked about necessarily is the benefit. One of the benefits of being a round robin team is they can build through this process to their first playoff game, which will happen after the round robin is done. And specific to what we were just talking about, getting back in rhythm. And what you were talking about, 
the struggles that the team sometimes has had coming back after a break or a layoff. Although, at least in this past year, I think when they had a break or a layoff, it maybe took half a period to a period, and then they kind of got back at mm-hmm. it. That game right after Christmas at oh. home against Montreal yep. where – you know, they were down two nothing and the shots were whatever, seventeen nothing, ten minutes into the game is is a very notable example. But remember they did come back and win that game and mm-hmm. they played a lot better in the final fifty minutes than in the first ten. But to the extent that they have more runway to get mm-hmm. in sync is an advantage. Not just the fact that they don't have to play an elimination series like these these other teams, the eight teams in the East, but also these eight teams in the East that are playing the three out of five. Like, they're going through their camp, and we had Brian Engblom on earlier in the week, and he noted that a lot of these teams that are in the play-in series are doing probably more scrimmaging in their camp than the Lightning have done to replicate game situations. But you have to figure that their scrimmages are probably similar to what the Lightning are doing. Like, they don't want to be overly physical. You don't want to injure a teammate, clearly. So you can bring a certain level of intensity, but it's not going to replicate where you need to be for that first playoff game. So they get the exhibition game. I'm talking about these play-in teams. But they have to go much closer from, if not 0 to 60, whatever you want to call it, 20 to 60, (laughs) 20 to 80 maybe in that first playing game, whereas the Lightning do have the three round-robin games, which have significance. But they have talked about using those round-robin games as a bridge to connect the training camp portion plus exhibition Mm -hmm. game to their first playoff game. So from that standpoint, I hope that they are able to utilize the extra time, if that's the right way of putting it, to get their game where – they want it to be and they need it to be before they actually play their first playoff game, unlike these other teams that are in the three out of five and they just have to go. They have to press down on the pedal and and floor it from the get-go and hope that they are executing better and, and playing their system better than their opponent. Yeah, I think, you know, the round-robin games and, and Julian Breeze-Bois and John Cooper have said all along, you know, yeah, sure, we'd like to win the round robin games, but the goal is to get ready for August 11th or 12th when the first round of the playoffs start for the Lightning. That being said, I, I do go back to what Dave Andrichuk told us a couple weeks ago: is you don't want to lose all three round robin games and get Pittsburgh in the first round. And he specifically meant they're the five seeds, so the yeah. lowest remaining seed. If you lose all three games, you will get Pittsburgh in the first round of the playoffs. I think you'd like to avoid that. I don't think getting the number one seed is that important, although you'd like home ice in every series. That would be great. But I think you want to, you know, the most important thing is to set yourself up and, and, and have that ramp up and, and, you know, that runway to get up to full speed for the playoffs. But I think you need to make sure that, you're playing right and you're winning at least one or two of those games because you would I, I wouldn't want to see Pittsburgh in the first round I just it, that team always scares anytime you got Sidney Crosby on the ice you know you know that you're going to get a full effort from them and it's going to be a tough game and and they were look they were the sixth or seventh best team in hockey this year as far as record wise when the break happened the Eastern Conference had more of the top teams than the West so you know Pittsburgh's one of the best teams in hockey and if you could avoid them in the first round I think that would be beneficial 
Crosby, by the way, after missing a couple of days of practice or scrimmages with Pittsburgh, is now back out on the ice. So that's good news for the Penguins, certainly. Good news for the NHL, because mm-hmm. we want to have Sidney Crosby certainly playing in this upcoming tournament. You know, finishing high in the round robin, we've talked about the fact that you get the lowest remaining seed and also that you get that last change with home ice advantage. You know, in the game where you are a home team, you get the the last change, so that's beneficial for matchup purposes. And there's no guarantee. I mean, you could finish first, and if Pittsburgh is upset, you could draw Montreal, the 12 seed, and lose. I mean, it could happen. But if you can get that top seed, not only would you get the lowest remaining seed in the first round, you, if there were an upset in the first round, you would not be playing one of these other round-robin teams in the second round. Whereas if you finish second, even if you finish second, do well and finish second, the likelihood, assuming the higher seeds win, the likelihood of seeing one of these other top teams in the second round is if it's not guaranteed, it's certainly a much higher likelihood. If you finish first, and let's say you do win your first-round series, if there's any upset with those other three teams, you're getting that team that pulled the upset, is what I'm saying, in the second round, as opposed to having mm-hmm. to see maybe Boston in the yeah. second round. Or Washington, who always, you know, the Lightning always have spirited matches with them. Right, and there's no guarantee that those teams mm-hmm. would advance either. We don't sure. know what we're going to get. You know, the Bruins are an interesting case because pretty consistently, like I mentioned, Cassidy talked about not putting a lot of emphasis on the round-robin games as far as getting results. He's like, we'll play whoever. The seeding isn't important. They've had a lot of players out for various reasons during their camp. I think at one point they had 10 or 11 guys who weren't available to scrimmage, and this isn't necessarily COVID-related. They were just not able to play. So I'll be curious to see what they look like in terms of their sharpness for all three of the round-robin games because we can watch certainly the two that they play that are not against the Lightning, but also that game against the Lightning on the fifth and how much of an emphasis the Bruins put on doing well in the round-robin. Because you figure they would like to avoid Pittsburgh also (laughs) – and they do win any tiebreaker with these other three teams because they had the highest points percentage in the regular season. But their approach has been has been singular in that they've been pretty consistent in in talking about, you know what, let's just get to the playoffs and make sure that we're doing well once we get to the playoffs, which the Lighting have said too, but the Lighting have also talked about making sure that they're playing the round-robin games as if they were playoff games. I don't know that I've I've heard that same kind of talk from the Bruins. Well, you remember Alex Kalorn was the player rep and, and said, look, they voted against this playoff format of because the Lightning would only have three round robin games and not playoff games to head into their first round series where whoever they face is already going to face an elimination game. So, you know, the Lightning have approached this a little bit differently than all the other teams from the day they voted on, you know, the 2014 format with you know, four teams getting, you know, just three round robin games heading into the playoffs while the other teams have elimination games. We'll take a break when Steve and I come back. I'm going to let him explain the fun challenges, and they are fun because he likes setting things up and building networks and 
getting us on the air where he's going to fill us in on the challenges, the fun challenges he's got in store to, to get these remote broadcasts up and running for all of us that uh, are going to be listening to Lightning broadcasts here on Lightning Power Play and, of course, over terrestrial radio as well. Power Lunch continues with more right after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. We're into our final segment on this Thursday. Greg and I will have tomorrow's Power Lunch together, 12 to 1, Friday. And then, as I mentioned earlier, it'll be Brian Engblom and myself on the call for the blue-white scrimmage. And Fox Sports Sun will be airing the morning skate show tomorrow from 3 to 4 on Fox Sports Sun, which will have uh, Rick, Chief, Dave, and Brian. So, to get you ready for the scrimmage. Somebody beaming Brian up from that location <laughs> to the radio booth? It's just a couple sections over, so. The elevator is quicker now that the building's empty. Yeah. I will say that, so he shouldn't have any issues. Well, we have less than a week until we do our first remote broadcast, the Lightning play that exhibition game against the Panthers on the 29th. And you have a lot dumped on your plate during – these last several weeks and months, Steve, but this is going to be maybe the icing on the cake. I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, but you are handling the setup for us in terms of where we were doing our remote broadcast. So as much as you can, why don't you fill the fans in on like where you are in that process and, and some of the challenges that, that you're maybe looking forward to, to tackling here in the next few days. Wait, I got to set up some stuff. I better get on that. No, well, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. So it's no secret that the announcers, uh, well, I think the national announcers, NBC and, and Sportsnet will be on site. But all the local radio announcers and the uh, the RSNs like Fox Sports Sun will be calling games from anywhere but the arena in Toronto, uh, wherever you want to set it up, really. So what we're going to have is, and you're, you're worried about, you know, having the video to watch the, the feed um audio as well so you've got to have you know we want the ref mics we want the to hear the you know the ice getting uh the zamboni on the ice or the skates going across the ice the puck hitting the boards etc um i believe there's going to be some crowd noise even on the feed as well from the nhl is providing uh but we'll be setting up two big monitors for you and phil to call the game from one will have the regular feed that you see the program feed which is you know what you would see on NBC or Fox Sports Sun all that everybody will be taking the same feed this year there's not multiple providers doing cameras and all that so we'll have that we'll also have a view of the all 12 camera so I don't know what that's going to look like yet but we're going to have a view of the whole ice to where, you know, probably more Phil than you, but may watch that to kind of see more than just the puck carrier. Um, and then we got to have backup feeds, too, in case that goes down. So um, obviously you can watch it on cable, but then you've got audio that you've got to sync up to that as well, which we've done before. Um, so we'll handle that as well. And we're all doing this while we're social distancing as well. So that you and Phil and myself will be uh, plenty far apart um, so we don't have any issues with COVID-19. So we've talked about this before. We do have some experience, our mm-hmm. our broadcast team, with these remote broadcasts because I did them in the 2015-16 season while my wife was having treatment. Um, 
And we also did them when she had a surgery in 2017, December of 2017, I did a month of road games from the studio and we did it in the iHeart studio in those two instances. This time around, we are going to be set up in Amelie Arena. But I do remember one of the bigger challenges was syncing up the on ice effects, which we were getting from mm -hmm. the arena, which we get from the arena if I'm at the arena. <laughs> anyway, right. it's just that's the feed that comes through on a channel. But what I was seeing was the television broadcast that was on some sort of a delay, seven, eight, nine seconds. Mm -hmm. And so we had to match the audio from the arena, the effects, with mm -hmm. the video because I was going off the video. This time that's not an issue. I mean, it sounded like you, you implied that we were not going to have this delay that was going to be a nut to crack, that it's all going to come through close to live or if it's on a delay it'll it'll be synced up as a delay our main feed it will not be an issue because we'll be receiving the video and the audio on the same feed the backup feed is watching it off spectrum or whoever your tv provider is and then with we'll the get, delay yeah well yes and that's delayed and there's delays from getting the feed from the arena to to the you know whoever's providing it, then them to the cable operator, and then them to you. So there's always a delay. Um, satellite, if it's on direct TV or something, it may be even longer than if cable, etc. So there's never a consistent delay either. So um, our backup feed, we will have to to worry about that. We do have a backup audio feed coming from the arena that we'll have to sync up to that that TV. So we will be doing that, but it, hopefully we won't be using that feed. At this point, are there any concerns technically? That you have just don't let the internet go down at the building <laughs> that's a that's a universal concern yeah, is well, it not <laughs> i think it's a concern for everybody anywhere everywhere but um no i think you know the nhl uh, they haven't provided us the web stream yet although we're supposed to do a test prior to wednesday's exhibition game so um i know that their teams have been on site in edmonton and toronto for weeks now um, starting to set this stuff up. So um, I, I, I don't envision too many issues or problems. And, and the good thing is we have an exhibition game to get it out of the way too. So um, not that you want problems in an exhibition game, but if you're going to have them, that's the time to do it. Um, you know, much like spring training or anything. I mean, that's why teams a lot of times like exhibition games. Uh, you know, NFL fans always complain about no preseason games. Well, one of the benefits of, of exhibition or preseason games is – your stadium gets a chance to test out all the everything, making food to taking tickets to, you know, everything you do in the stadium, you get to try out. All the broadcasters get to make sure that lines are working and, and everything, everything is working in the arena or stadium as is. So, you know, that's you kind of treat exhibition games that way as well. So we are going to have one game as a practice, quote unquote, receiving, but for the NHL that is sending in both Toronto and Edmonton, they're going to have six chances. Mm -hmm. So to the extent, like, we may not have an issue in our broadcast, but maybe, like, Pittsburgh plays Philly. Maybe something comes up in that broadcast mm -hmm. that the league can say, you know what, now we, we have a problem, we can iron that out. So they're going to get a fair amount of, of chances to – kind of unearth any problems mm -hmm. and fix them before the playoffs and the round robin do begin. Well, and the other part of 
because we're getting a world feed and the all 12 in that is they're trying to figure out one of the issues the NHL is working out is how to get time and score on the feeds for us. Yeah. Because that's, that's all done at the RSNs. I mean, Fox sports has their own graphics package compared to NBC, compared to Sportsnet, compared to whoever, you know, whatever team you're playing, their local RSN uses too. So those feeds aren't, that's not embedded in the feed generally that goes out for the world feed. Um, although they would, sync a clock up so that you can set it into your graphic system for that. So they're working on all that stuff and, and where the camera angles are going to be for all this stuff. I mean, one of the things without fans in the stands is they can get very creative with some of the camera angles or change what you generally see, hopefully for the better. And, and I know the NHL has told us that, you know, we're going to try some things and if it doesn't work, we'll change it. We're not, you know, just because we've decided something today, if it's not working, we're not going to stick with it. We're going to change it and tweak it and, make it work for everybody. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't participate. I don't foresee any, any issues. We're major issues. We're going to have. So I have been asked about the challenges of calling play by play off a monitor and hockey and calling a hockey game off a monitor for play by play and radio, <laughs> maybe even, more intricate than calling it off television because you do need to stay in the puck, although it's not easy either on television. And Rick and Brian are going to have a producer and director in their ear kind of guiding the broadcast as well. So they're going to have a lot of balls in the air as well. But I maintain that the biggest challenge is the centerized camera, how narrow or how wide that shot is. And if it's, if, it's a, if it's a tight shot, if it's a narrow shot, as I'll call it, you're going to lose the puck. The puck slides east to west and west to east quicker than the camera person can keep up with it. And that can be a problem. So you might think you want the, the bigger shot, the closer shot, to see the players and it's true, you see the players, the players are bigger on the screen, but from my standpoint, I prefer the wider shot so you are less likely to lose the puck. So that's probably the biggest concern, but there are other things I remembered because I've done a fair number of these. Uh, I recall going into the studio the second time, so it was late November 2017, and the lighting at a game in Buffalo it was a road game in Buffalo. So I had done a handful of the games through the first half of 2016 but it had been a year and a half I remember driving to the studio and not that I was feeling overly confident but I I was feeling that this is something I had done before it wasn't the first time and I remember getting into that game and recognizing man this is tough it is tough and I think it's going to take all of us maybe a couple of shifts to mm -hmm to get acclimated to it. But I remember specifically in that Buffalo game, the lighting at a power play and they would score on the power play. And this is, this is the home director's choice. So I don't recall that the camera from center ice was a problem. It was wide enough, but when the lighting went on the power play, and sometimes you see this, they went behind the net. So you're looking from the net out to the offensive mm -hmm. blue line for the lightning. And they didn't often do this on their power play, but for some reason on this power play they did. 
they had one guy, the Lightning, one guy in one corner and another guy deep in the other corner. And the puck went corner to corner, like real quick, corner to corner, one-timer into the slot, and Sergachev scored. I remember Sergachev scored the goal. It was his rookie year. And you could not see mm-hmm. either player in the corner. Now I had an idea of who the players were, but I would have to go back and listen to it. But I'm pretty sure that I, I either called Braden Point Tyler Johnson or the other, the other way around. It was a righty shot, but I couldn't see who the player was. So it's stuff like that where they change the view and you're not seeing what you need to see mm-hmm. that can be a challenge. And the other anecdote that I remember specifically, and again, this was from that, that run in 2017, the Lightning had a game in Colorado. You might have heard this story, Steve. So the game is in Colorado. It's in the second period. And Eric Johnson for Colorado boards one of the Lightning players. It's clearly a penalty. And then there's a scrum. So it's happening. There's a penalty coming, but it's time for a TV timeout. So what I get on my screen is commercial. So I have no idea during the commercial what's Mm -hmm. happening. Is it a five-minute major? Is it a two-minute minor? Are there penalties on the Lightning? What's going on with Eric Johnson? Is he thrown out of the game? Et cetera. So as it turned out, Eric Johnson did get a five-minute major, and he was thrown out of the game. But when we came back from commercial, it was just showing the power play for the Lightning. And there was no clock up to say how long the power play was. And so I'm flying blind now. I have no idea, because they don't update the penalties Mm -hmm. quickly enough on the internet in real time. I mean, eventually it came on there, and it was a complicated one, because there were multiple penalties and this, that, and the other. And so I think I started calling the power play, and then like 30 seconds in, they put up the 430, right, on the power play. I'm like (laughs) smacking my forehead because we weren't revealing that we were doing it from the studio, so I had to make it sound like it was in the arena. And it's not like I could put the audio on and hear what Rick and Brian were talking about, right? I was supposed to have been there. So that was a very unusual circumstance where it sounded like I had no idea what Mm -hmm. was happening because I thought it was a two-minute minor based on the information I had. And then I discovered it was a five-minute major, so I kind of had to correct myself. I'm like, well, dummy, why weren't you just looking at the scoreboard that had the five minutes up there on the board? I'm like, because I couldn't see the scoreboard because I'm sitting in a little studio in Tampa watching it off a (laughs) monitor. So I don't know if we're going to have a situation that – is as kind of complicated Mm -hmm. in terms of the scoring or penalties as that. But I am hoping that the league has some mechanism in place to impart information as close to real time as we can because unlike the situation that I faced when the Lightning were in Colorado, which was just Mm -hmm. one game out of a number on a garden variety night in the regular season where I was the only announcer dealing with calling a game remotely off a monitor now as you mentioned other than the announcers with the national networks everybody's been going to be calling it off a monitor or at least the the broadcasters involved with the teams that are playing and we'll see i'm curious to see how quickly like Mm -hmm. goal assists or penalty calls that are more than just the ref skating and you know indicating a slash where it's pretty obvious how quickly that information gets right. disseminated so the announcers have the information that they need. 
Well, one thing that was brought up when we talked with the NHL uh, last week was, could we make the officials announce every penalty? Because we're not in the arena on that. And they said, we'll try. So yeah, that's, that's always been one of my pet peeves of the NHL is, why do, you, why do the refs announce some penalties and not others? And I, I've never yeah. understood why. I mean, if you're going to announce the penalties, announce them all. Why wouldn't you? But they, for some reason, they choose not to sometimes, and I don't. I've never understood why. But the, my biggest concern is August third comes. We have a four o'clock faceoff, three thirty pregame, and the qualifying round game before us goes to four overtimes. Yep. That, that's those are my biggest issues. Of we have to move everything and push everything back at that point. So. Don't you think they would have a contingency for that? Though you're talking about the game that's in Toronto. Yes, the game. There'll, there'll be a game on the ice before them that day. Yes, and if and it's a qualifying, so it's playoff rules overtime. It's not a five yeah. minute overtime and a shootout. So if that goes to multiple overtimes, our game will get pushed back, and they they will we'll be have notifying our own, us. And but it's we'll we have, have to, our own rain delay. Yeah, it'll be like yeah. we're calling a baseball game with exactly. a rain delay, right? But we'll have to notify affiliates and everything else too. So it's just. It's just handling that. I mean, it's not a it's not a major issue, but and it happens. But um, that's that is, probably that is a why. Yeah, it's probably why they allocated the four hours mm-hmm. between the games and the cities to yep. to work in that time. But you're right. I mean, some of these playoff games can go. The Lightning won't have that in the round robin. That'll be regular season timing rules. Correct. So if it's tied after 60 minutes, you have the five minute overtime. If it's still tied, you go to the shootout. But the game that precedes that. August 3rd, 4 o'clock game would be a play-in game, a, a game in the play-in series, and that would have, if it goes to overtime, play until there's a goal. And you have not only multiple overtimes, you also have flooding of the ice mm-hmm. in between the overtime periods if you don't have a winner either after the first overtime or, you know in the second overtime or whatever, and they're flooding the ice in between the end of mm-hmm. regulation and the first overtime as well. You think so. of it kind of like the NCAA tournament where they announce the you know the game time will be 25 minutes after this game concludes, essentially. Yep. Hockey will be a little more time than that for warm-ups and flooding the ice and, and all that, but um, they probably have a window, and they said that you know they'd be communicating this with everyone, but you know it would basically probably be 45 minutes to an hour after the game before ends and – um, you know, if, if, it, if, it, if that situation does occur. so Well, we'll roll with the punches, as we always do, yes. and we will be ready. But that'll do it for today's show. We're not going to run 25 minutes after, although you said we can. Yeah, sure, sure. We don't, have a, we don't have a hard out, but no. I'm going to make this our hard out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and we will talk to you tomorrow, folks. Greg Linelli and myself for Power Lunch, and then Brian Engblom, And I will bring to you the second blue-white scrimmage at 4 o'clock at Amelie Arena or from Amelie Arena. Thanks to everyone involved in today's Power Lunch. Brian Burns, Steve Versnick, I'm Dave Mishkin. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody.